0: now father as we prepare to study your word feed us lord god we pray encourage us challenge us but ultimately lord god change us to that end lord god that i'm available to you save someone's soul we pray add to your church in jesus name amen you may be seated if you have your bibles please meet me in the book of exodus exodus chapter 33 As you're turning there, let me just uh, give you a reminder, you don't want to miss next week. Uh, Next week is our State of the Church Sunday, uh, where twice a year uh, I come to you, uh, once in August, once in January, to just lay out the vision uh, for that next ministry semester. Uh, I'm so excited. Next week, um, one of the things, just to give you a hint of what we'll be talking about, next Sunday we're going to actually roll out our new rebrand. So we have totally rebranded everything. And that gets unveiled uh, next week. And so we're going to walk through that. Uh, let me give you another little hint. Make sure to bring your devices to church on Sunday. That's right. You heard a pastor actually encourage people to bring their devices, but p- please bring them. And we're going to roll that out. Also want to remind you, we are in the middle of a fast. We are fasting together as a church and we're believing God for seven specific things. You can find those things on the website and hopefully you've been doing that. Today marks the last day of our Sugar fast, and uh, I just found out Sister Kim in the kitchen crew was going to put out some desserts uh, for our marriage DNA. So we putting a stop to that in the name of Jesus. We are binding that sugar demon right now in the name of Jesus. So, and then starting tomorrow, going through next Sunday, is fast a meal a day uh, every single day. And so, um, it, it, you know, my, my youngest said, well, "Well, that's easy. I don't eat breakfast anyways. Nope, that ain't a fast." All right. So if you don't eat breakfast anyways, don't fast breakfast because it's supposed to be a sacrifice. And remember what we said about fasting. Fasting gets at what controls us. And John Piper tells us that, that hunger pains are God's trumpet calls to prayer. So when you feel hungry, take that as an alarm clock going off. I need to pray about one or several of the seven things. In fact, just this week, my wife and I were back east. And uh, in the middle of our sugar fast, we flew into Lansing, Michigan, and had to drive two hours to a specific destination. Uh, And uh, I was falling asleep. And I said, I need to stop by a convenience store or something. And I got me a Diet Mountain Dew. No sugar. Um, But we had to walk past the Reese's Cups and the Now Laters. You ever had Candy talk to you before and the Jolly Ranchers? And my wife said, Hunger, uh, hunger pains are God's trumpet call. So she right there started praying. God had thousands of people to the church and right there in front of the annihilators and folk looking at us like we're crazy. But that's the idea there, okay? Uh, you may not need to go that extreme, but that's what we're doing. And then the last week, we're going to fast from screens. I knew I wouldn't get an amen on that one. Let me, go on. Let me break it down to you. That's. Um, televisions, iPads, that's uh, cell phones. I know we got to use them for work, but when you don't have to use them, if you could join us in fasting for them. Um, my, my, one of my sons actually said to me, Dad, what, what did y'all do back in the 19s? Is what he said back in the 19s before you had email. I said, we actually got up out of our offices and talked to folk. Novel thought, isn't it? So uh, if we could last centuries without it, you can last a week. So we want to encourage you to go that way with me. Amen. I got two amens on that one. (laughs) Exodus chapter 33, let's hustle, pick me up in verse 12, verse 12, verse 12. One of my favorite portions of Scripture. Now, I know all Scripture is inspired but some sections of scripture I, I don't particularly care for because it kind of hits me kind of hard. It's, it's, it's the lima bean sections of scripture. It's the eggplant sections. It's the squash sections. You know, vegetables that will not be at the feast of the new covenant. But there's some sections of scripture like this one. that's the red velvet and the German chocolate and the carrot cake from Drager's section of scripture. I'm getting to know the bay. Someone introduced me to Drager's and my cholesterol thanks you. But Exodus chapter 33, pick me up in verse 12. One of my favorite sections of scripture. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, verse 13, Moses says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him verse fifteen, If your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. Translation, if if you ain't going, I ain't going. For how shall it be, verse sixteen? How shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not you is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Oh, that God would say that of you. I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, verse 20, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. While my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. In August of 1734, there was a pastor by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Got up and preached a sermon entitled A Divine and Supernatural Light. Jonathan's aim in this sermon, A Divine and Supernatural Light, was that he wanted to inspire people to experience God for themselves. To put it in my vernacular, Jonathan Edwards was a little concerned that so many believers were riding Big big Mama's coattails and were living off of Grandmama's faith, but not had experienced God for themselves. Reading this sermon, because Jonathan Edwards' manuscript, all of his sermons, reading this sermon, one of the things you'll discover is a powerful analogy he uses to get people to go from hearing about God to actually experiencing God. He, and he uses the analogy of honey. He says, part of the problem with so many people who name the name of Jesus Christ is they approach God like many people approach honey. And that is, so many people might be able to say, I have learned by by data points and rational analysis that honey is sweet. I have studied its properties. I have heard the testimonies of others. I have looked at its contents, and I have deduced that honey is sweet. He said, but that's not good enough when it comes to God. For the vast majority of us, we know honey is sweet, not because we have studied its rational properties, But we have tasted and experienced the sweetness of honey for ourselves. Jonathan Edwards says, that's where God wants you to move to. The part of the problem with so many believers is, we have studied and gained data points about God. But we have not tasted for ourselves that he's sweet, I know. Part of the problem with so many believers is we go to BSF and we go to all these Bible studies and memorize all these verses and collect all this doctrine. And yet there are so many people out there like my own grandmama who didn't have a college degree, but she could tell you not just what she heard about God, but how she tasted and experienced God for herself. In fact, the great irony is, here I am uh, with a bachelor's, with a master's, having done doctoral work at Oxford University, the great irony is, my grandmama, with only a third grade education, knew God a lot more intimately than I did for all my learning. So what we want to do in this series is, we want to inspire you from moving from merely hearing about God to actually walking with God for yourself. I grew up in a little Baptist church called Berean Bible Baptist. I know y'all out here in California, y'all too sophisticated to do this. But I grew up in a church where every Sunday we did what's called testimony service. Anybody ever grow up in a church called testimony where y'all did testimony service? Now, sometimes y'all needed to give the saints instructions because sometimes they. I remember one, one, one lady talking about she came up one Sunday was rejoicing in the Lord because God had blessed her, allowed her to hit bingo. Now, some folk just need instructions, right? But you would sit there doing testimony service. and I remember even being a little boy just going, that person knows God in a way I don't know him. Oh, that we would taste and see that God is good for ourselves. And so we've been in a series that we started last week, a series called Renew. And one of the things we've been arguing here for is we want to take God off the history channel. And put them into real time in HD in our lives. We, we want to just remove the God that we hear about in the Bible. You know the God who opened up the Red Seas. And the God who conquered those armies in Second Chronicles chapter 20. The God who rained down manna from heaven. The God who fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and a few pieces of fish. One of the things we want to say is that God ain't dead. That God is still alive. That God still wants to move, take him off the history channel and trust him to do phenomenal things in our lives. I believe that part of the reason God may not be moving in your life in that way is because of your lack of faith. Will you trust him? There's a verse that says of Jesus, he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Isn't it astounding to realize that we can stop mighty God? And what can stop mighty God is our unbelief, our faith. God deliver us from a yeah, but kind of prayer. Where we give these grand prayer requests to God, but in our spirits, there's a yeah, but that'll never happen to me. Yeah, but I doubt it. Yeah, but I don't think so. Yeah, but. No, we want to believe God and we want to trust him to move in phenomenal ways, not just in my own personal life, but in the life of this church. That's what January is about. We want to trust God. We want to seek God together. We want to believe God together. We want to press in with no yeah, buts. We want to see God do phenomenal things, phenomenal things like he does in our text today. As we come to our text, it's astounding to realize that here is Moses and God having a very real conversation. In fact, the Bible says that God would talk to Moses as a man talks to his friend. Unbelievable. Here is God and Moses. They're having a conversation. Watch it now. Write this down. They're talking in a place called the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting. This was a personal place. Not just anybody could go up in here and have a conversation with God. This was a place where intimate strategic conversations took place. The tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is the equivalent married folks to our bedrooms. Sometimes when, when we needed to get away from our nosy kids, mom and I just need to have a conversation and work some things out. We go to the bedroom to talk about those things the tent of meeting is not only like the bedroom but but on your job it's like the boardroom it's the place where confidential strategic conversations get worked out that that influence the whole of the organization the tent of meeting that's where moses and god would talk In fact, those conversations were so intimate, the Bible says that when Moses would come out of the tent of meeting, his whole countenance would change and the people would beg Moses to put a veil over his face because oftentimes prayer not only changes things, but prayer changes me. What's your tent of meeting? Where do you go to have intimate conversations with God? What is your tent of meeting? Now what precipitates all this, hang in there with me, I promise you, I'm coming to your neighborhood, we're going to get real personal, I'm going to walk into your house, I'm going to put my feet up on your coffee table, I'm going to show you how it really hits home for us, but let me just settle the, set up the context. What precipitates this whole conversation is here is God, he's delivered his people from Egypt through the miracle of opening up the Red Sea, and here are these people, God now has a conversation with Moses for 40 days. He gives them the Ten Commandments, and the people are waiting on Moses, but it's 40 days. They haven't seen him, so they get a little anxious. They get ahead of God, and they decide to take matters into their own hands. Someone once said, the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Here are the people, and what they decide to do is they decide to fashion a God after their own likeness. They decide to make a golden calf and to worship this God. In fact, the Bible says that they actually decided to play in honor of this God. And the Hebrew word for play means to have an orgy. So here are these people. They're worshiping this God. They actually say that it was this God who delivered them from Egypt, not not Yahweh who delivered them. They're getting into immorality. God, of course, now sees it. And then God says to Moses, I've had it. Moses, I'm going to start all over with you. I'm going to destroy everybody. I'm going to kill them all off. I'm going to start all over with you. Moses intercedes. He says, God, uh uh-uh, you can't do it. Can't do it, God, because if you do that, word will get out that you let us out of captivity into freedom only to kill us. God then says, okay, here's what I'll do. Change of plans. Here's what I'll do. I'll let you guys go into the promised land. You can have affluence. You can have uh, the brand-new chariots with the 26-inch rims. You can have the wonderful jobs. You can have the great big houses. You do that. I'll send one of my angels, maybe Gabriel or Michael, one of them to lead you, but I ain't going. Here's what I'll do, Moses. I'll give you the blessings. You just can't have the blessor. I'll give you the gift, Moses. You just can't have the giver. Now, let me stop right there. Isn't that the dream for most of the people in our world? Isn't that what most people dream of? Let me have the blessings. God, just don't be in the middle, so i have to be accountable. G- God, let me have your good gifts. Just don't be anywhere in the mix. That is the dream for billions of people. Moses said, uh-uh, God, that don't work for me. This is what our text is about. He says, God, if your presence does not go with us, I don't want to go. God, if you ain't going to go, I ain't going. That, that's, for you not to be there and to leave us is sort of like the bulls of the 90s taking the court and Jordan ain't there. Sort of like me paying to go see Michael Jackson in the Jackson 5 and Michael ain't there. All I get is Tito and Jermaine. No, 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 God. uh, uh-uh. uh, We Tito. You, Michael. Here is Moses. And he says... God, I don't just want your gifts. He says in so many words, God, I'd rather live in section eight housing on the other side of the tracks, but have you in the middle of that house than to live in the biggest house in Los Altos and you'd be nowhere to be found. Is that your heart? If God would offer you the best job making Eight, nine figures in building the biggest house. But in exchange, he would say, I won't be in the mix. Would you even flinch at that? Moses says, God, if you ain't going, I'm not going. Why? Moses understood that what scratches him most intimately, what the only thing that would satisfy him ain't the gifts, it's the giver. It was Blaise Pascal, the great 17th century French philosopher and Jesus lover, who said we were all born with a God-sized hole in our hearts that only God can fulfill. And the great tragedy of so many people is we spend all of our lives trying to fill in the void. We think it's cars that'll do it. We think it's relationships that'll do it. We think it's houses that'll do it. We think it's the letters behind our name that'll do it. Someone was asking, well, what's it like pastoring in the Bay? I said, on the one hand, it's it's incredibly frustrating. You know, I've shared my faith with so many people out on a golf course and nothing. But on the other hand, I think it's a great opportunity because it's the best of the best who move out here Here they are getting the jobs and making the money and getting the notoriety and matriculating their way up the corporate ladder. And at some point in the middle of all of that, when you finally move into the corner office and you get all that stuff, at some point, something in you, if you're honest enough, will say, is that it? Gifts don't satisfy. Only God can. Now, if there's one thing... There's one word that sums up our text. It's the word more. More. Here's Moses. He's out on God. I'm not trying to go in if you ain't coming with us. You got to come, God. And he makes three requests. Show me your ways. He wants more. Give us your presence. He wants more. And then it reaches a crescendo when he says, show me your glory, more, 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 more. There is, here it is, a sense of righteous discontent. Those who have truly tasted of God, it is a paradox. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's a paradox. I hunger, but I'm satisfied because when I taste them, I'm satisfied, but I want more. So I taste again, satisfied, but I want more. Sort of when I fell in love with this girl right here on the front row. Boy, I couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. Couldn't wait. I got her number and fellas, don't laugh at me. I know the rule. You're supposed to wait 48 hours when you first get the number. I couldn't wait. Called girlfriend that night, left a message on her answering machine. Y'all, y'all know what a, I didn't say voicemail. I said answering machine, all right? Left the voicemail, and we talk and talk and talk, and then we went out on our first date, and I was satisfied going out with her, but when I dropped her off again, I was hungry. I couldn't wait to go out with her again and talk some more and go out with her satisfied, but hungry to go out with her again. That's the tension here. Those who have tasted of God, satisfied but hungry, satisfied but hungry. There is this nonstop sense of God. We want more. We want more. We want more. It's D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great London preacher of the mid-20th century in his wonderful book, Revival. He speaks to this when he says these words. Will you look at them with me? And here is something that you will find, he writes, in the lives of all the great saints of God in the church throughout the ages, and particularly in men on whom God lays his hand in this matter of revival and intercession. The first thing that happens to them is that they themselves feel this desire for a deeper knowledge of God. They begin to feel a hunger and a thirst for something bigger, something deeper. They read their Bibles and they feel... That here is some deeper and some fuller knowledge of God and God's love. And that is what they want. They are no longer content. Oh, friends, that's what I want for myself. And that's what I want for us. We want to taste, but we want more. Taste, but more, more, more. How do we see this hunger? We see it in three ways. I just want to lift these three things up. Call it a day. Moses says in verse 13, he shows us his hunger when he says in verse 13, Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you. New Testament written in Greek, Old Testament for the most parts is written in Hebrew. The Hebrew word for know is the word yada, Y-A-D-A, Y-A-D-A. Yada speaks of an intimate knowledge, and specifically, I don't want to be crass, it was spoke, spoken of a kind of a sexual knowledge that would take place between a husband and a wife. It is a knowledge at the deepest levels. Here is Moses, he's not talking about an academic knowledge. He says, I, I want something intimate, I want something deep, that's what I want. Now watch what he says. I want intimacy, God. How does He get there? In order for me to get intimacy, watch it now. Show me your ways. Hang in there. The Hebrew word for ways simply means a well-worn path. Back then, of course, they weren't driving different places. They weren't hopping on 737s to get from Egypt to Canaan. They walked, and oftentimes, as they would walk through grasses, you get as they walk through grass, you get enough people. Walking the same way, in the same direction, over time, with consistency and constancy, dirt, a well-worn path, was worn into the grass. So that, watch it now, this idea of ways speaks of consistency and constancy in the same direction. Watch it. The psalmist says, he talks about the way of the righteous. It is consistent, righteous character in the same direction. The psalmist also talks about the way of the wicked, consistent, evil character in a different direction. The writer of Proverbs talks about train up a child in the way they should go. So we want to train them with consistent character. So that when Moses is saying, show me your ways that I may know you, he's saying, God, I want something deep. I want something intimate, but I can't get to that place of intimacy unless I know your consistent, constant character. Now, why is he asking this? He's asking it because Moses is going, God, you're freaking me out here. Back in Egypt, you said you would deliver us and that you would take us to the promised land. Now you're telling me you ain't going with us. God, which is it? I, I, I need to know something consistent about it. Listen to me. It's a fundamental rule to relationships. There is no intimacy without consistency. If, if you're erratic, that, that's why I tell my kids and kids, if you're here today, elementary middle school, high school. If you're here today, I want you to hear this. The Bible says that lying is an abomination to God. Why is that? An abomination simply means he hates it. The reason for it is what I tell my kids. Kids, you cannot have a relationship with a liar. There's no intimacy there. If I'm second guessing truth, I don't know your ways. And if I don't know your ways, I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, I can't walk with you. So, so God, when he says, I hate lying, he's saying it. And I need you to hear from the perspective of, he's saying it because he desperately wants an, an intimate relationship with us. But lying blocks that. So Moses is saying, God, show me your ways. Why? Because consistency equals intimacy. You know, I was thinking about this through the lens of marriage. Wouldn't it be great if on our wedding day, we would give to our spouse a list of our ways? Instead of having to guess for the first three to five years. Now, here's what trips you out about marriage. When you, you know, when you get married, you think, you know, a person, you don't really know. Them. Can, can can I, can I, can I get an amen? You, you don't really really know them you know, some of y'all um, you know, some of the guys are tripping out because you're going man when we were single she would cook <laughs> but now that we got married she all, go, all of a sudden gonna tell me oh I, I didn't really like that I it wasn't my thing it wasn't my way <laughs> others of us guys let me be equal opportunity here when we were single we were extroverts we'd be on the phone just all talkative for hours. Now we'd have become an introvert all of a sudden that we done got married and we don't talk that much. Don't say amen, Sister Loritz. (laughs) But here's what happens to us over marriage. First three to five years, there's all these arguments and a part of it is we're surprised because we don't really know your ways and we don't like those ways and now we're trying to clone you into our image. But after about three to five years, hopefully what happens, if you just ride it out, something should click and go, that's just who they are. And once you settle into that, now you set the table for intimacy. And you realize there's one Holy Spirit and you ain't it. And God hadn't called you to change that person. You can't even change yourself. And so now once you flip the script and you realize that's who not only God has created, but that's who actually God gave to me. Now I know their ways. So now you want to say amen on that. Now I know your ways. So now there's a place for intimacy. Hear me. Some of you are here today and you're disappointed with God. And part of the reason you're disappointed with God, hear me, isn't God's problem. It's yours because you didn't take the time to know his ways. So many people, theologians call it theodicy. So many people in our world today are disappointed with God because fundamentally they think God is Santa Claus God. Where he rewards people based on their performance if they've been naughty or nice. So if you've been naughty over here, you get naughty things over here. If you've been nice over here, you get nice things over here. But here's the problem. You walk with God long enough and what you'll realize is sometimes the equation doesn't work out. There's sometimes when naughty things happen over here, when God even decrees the bad things or he allows the bad things, but you're doing the self audit and you're going, I'm not a perfect person, but I don't seem to have done anything over here to deserve this over here. And so now what throws you is you're upset with God. You're disappointed with God because you assumed that God was a Santa Claus God. And you made that assumption because you did not take the time to know his ways. And if you knew his ways, you would know that God is not a Santa Claus God. He is a sovereign God. Psalm 115 verse 3 says it this way. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. If you study God, one of the things you'll see is God is more into his glory than he is your comfort. Comfort. And sometimes because he is a glory hound, God will allow you to experience bad things even though you did good things to manifest his glory. That's Job. But hear me, as much as you study God's ways, and they're helpful, always conclude your study with Isaiah 55, 8. When God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. At the end of the day, we cannot figure God out. It's what the Latin theologians called finitum, capax infinitum. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite. God cannot be fully comprehended by our own minds. And there are certain things we will never know on this side of glory. And when that happens, we've just got to trust him by faith. I don't know why the miscarriage happened. I don't know why you can't get pregnant. I don't, I don't know why you went through the divorce. I don't know why God allowed that child to die early. I don't know why, but we'll understand it better by and by. But in the meantime, in between time, I'm going to trust him. Amen. Secondly, Moses says, God, I not only want you to show me your ways, but God, verse 15, I need your presence. He said to him, verse 15, if your presence, your presence, your presence will not go with me, I ain't going. (laughs) Don't don't even bring us up from here, God. The Hebrew word for for presence simply means face. Face is God's attention. It is God's favor. I I, I shared with you last week, um, you know, I I grew up in a house. My, My mama's pet peeve was you don't talk to mama while she's on the phone. And, you know, you remember them old school phones? My mom, we had a big old yellow phone with a long cord. Remember that? Remember that? And, 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 and I remember my, my baby brother, baby sister pulling on mama's skirt. Mama, 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 mama. By the way, women, you all have a tremendous capacity to just ignore kids. I don't know. It's a gift. A, a kid could be saying mama, mama, mama 578 times and you won't hear him. But why is that kid doing that? Because mama's face is pointed in another direction. But finally, at some point, mama's face turns to that kid after consistent pleas. And now that kid gets mama's face and her attention and maybe her favor, not necessarily. Sometimes it wasn't her favor when you got her face. But but the idea is if you got mama's face, you got her attention. Here is Moses, and he is pulling on God's skirt, if you will. And he's saying, God, 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 I need your presence. I need your face. God's face is his favor. Number 6, 24 to 26 says it this way. This is Moses talking. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his face, his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The older I get, the more I'm realizing that the greatest thing I could ask God for is not his gifts. It's his favor. What has seen me through all of these years are not my gifts. Gifted people are a dime a dozen. What differentiates us is the favor of God. And if God would ever take his favor away from us, parents, pray God's favor over your kids. Single people, pray God's favor over your lives. We need the favor, the favor, the favor of God. Why is this important? Verse 16, Moses says, For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? You know what he's saying here? The favor of God is the Christian's logo. What a half-eaten apple is to a computer company, God's presence, God's favor is to your life. Let me give that to you again. What a half-eaten apple is to a computer company, God's presence, God's favor is to your life. If he ever takes away his presence from you, you are just an ordinary person. But with God's favor, you are extraordinary. He says, I need your favor. I want you to write down 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is an astounding statement. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have from God? Hear me. How does all this relate to my life? When you got saved, God put himself inside of you. Unbelievable. When you got saved... God put himself, he says, Your body, your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are my temple. So when you go to class tomorrow, you take God with you. When you are on that date on Friday night in the back seat of that car, God is with you. That's why you better be careful, young lady, where you let him put his hands not on your body, but on God's temple. God says, that's mine, that ain't his, that's mine, that ain't hers, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. What Moses had to beg for, you automatically receive. Did you get that? What Moses had to beg for, you automatically receive. And hear me, in Christ, under the new covenant, there is nothing you can ever do to lose God's presence. You can lose his power, you can't lose his presence. If he's in you, he's in you. In so many of your homes, there's what's called motion detector lights. What these motion detector lights is, is when they detect motion in the room, they come on. If there is no motion, they're off. The power is there. You just got to make sure there's motion to activate it. God says, my power is there. What deactivates my power is your sin. But if you want to activate my power, just show up in motion and trust me. And you will have power to shine as lights in this world. What Moses had to beg God for, you automatically receive. Moses isn't done. Lastly, he says, Not only show me your ways, not only I've got to have your presence, but now things reach a crescendo. Verse 17, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now, verse 18, Moses said, hear it, underline it, put a smiley face around it, show me your glory. Wow. This word glory is used 376 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. 45 of those times it's used in reference to the manifest presence of God. Glory. What is that? We, we use that word a lot. It, it, it's sort of like the word Cheeto. We use it. We just don't know what it is. You ever thought what a Cheeto is? Forgive my demented mind. We, we use that word glory a lot, but what does it mean? In an essence, glory means weight. It means weight. Back then they had scales that measured everything. The heavier it was, the more valuable it was. The weightier it was, the more valuable it was. The Bible says in Psalms that God is the king of glory. In other words, God is the heavyweight champion when it comes to his glory. Philip Ryken says that God's glory is his divine weightiness. And one moving passage in the Bible, the Bible actually says that the train of his robe filled the temple. Uh, Ladies... You, you know what a train to a robe is. If you've ever uh, gotten married or you've been to a wedding, the train is that long part attached to the dress. Back then in biblical times, when kings wanted to floss, when they wanted to show off, they would have these long trains attached to their robe. And the, the longer the train was, the more glorious they were. Well, when the Bible says that the train of his robe filled the temple, it's like saying the train of God's robe filled abundant life's sanctuary. It, it is saying God is so awesome. God is so glorious no one can compare to him It's his glory God says my glory I share with no one and watch it Moses says God I want to see that now why does he want to see God's glory Moses wants to see God's glory because God had just told him my presence is going to go with him Moses saying God don't 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 be offended by this but I need some collateral you know collateral is right when two parties start to negotiate with one another and, and maybe there's a lender and there's a borrower and the lender wants to make sure that the borrower is going to be, be good on his word, he'll ask for something valuable in the meantime in order to make the deal official. Moses is saying, God, I need some collateral. I know you said you were going to go with me, but I need to know it's you. So in the meantime, l- give me the collateral. Let me see your glory. I love I love what God says. No, 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 no. No man can see me and live. If I had more time, I'd tell you some of the most merciful things God could ever do to you is to tell you no to some of your prayer requests. One of the most gracious things God could do to you is to tell you no to some of the stuff you've been praying for. Because some of the stuff, if God gave it to you, it would kill you. So God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'll let you see my slip. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. And I'm going to let you see my exhaust. I'll, I'll give you a taste. I'll, I'll give you an hors d'oeuvre of my glory. I'll, I'll give you an appetizer of my glory. But you couldn't handle the full-on porterhouse. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a taste. Now, Pastor, thanks for the History Channel, but what in the world does this have to do with the price of tea in China? John says in John 1.14 that when I saw Jesus, we beheld his glory. That when Jesus came to earth, and I love it, tabernacled among us, we beheld his glory. And then Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, for God said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is the embodiment of the glory of God. So that if you are in an abiding relationship with Jesus, you have at your disposal again every single day what Moses had to beg for, the glory of God. It's at your disposal. God's glory is manifested in Jesus, and Jesus lives in you. You have his glory. Ms. Cormac and the team comes. There's another glorious truth that's found here. This passage shows us the gospel. I want you to hear me, friends. This passage shows us the gospel. Israel had sinned. Her sins had separated her from God. God was going to banish her into extinction. The only reason why he doesn't is Moses intercedes. And through Moses' intercession, the people get God's favor. Every New Testament point has an Old Testament picture. We were Israel. Our sins had separated us from God. We, like Israel, had committed idolatry, whoring after other gods. God's worshiping gods of this world, gods of money, gods of sex, gods of status, gods of significance. And our idolatry was going to separate us from an eternity and the presence of God away from him. But, but Jesus Christ being the full and better Moses, he interceded on our behalf and God changed his mind. And now we can receive his favor. The same favor Israel received, you can receive it. Not because of what you do, but because of what God through Christ has done for you. Don't leave here today having sung of the love of God through Jesus Christ, but not having received that love right now. So we offer it to you. Every week we do this, we just make a quick declaration and we say you are sent at the end of it. It's our reminder that this is not the end game, just coming to church, but we come to church to get what we need to be the people of God out there. So we come in here to get what we need so that we can walk with him out there. So let's say these words together as we prepare to leave. Let's put them on the screen. Here we go. So father, as we begin this new year, we press ever deeper into you. We want to experience more of you in 2017. Fill us with a righteous discontent. Show us your glory in our hearts, homes, friendships, church, and in the bay for your fame. Amen. You are sent. God bless you. Have a great week.